0: Uh, I think we are living through a time of contracting rights. Because of 9-11, because of the international fear of terrorism, uh, the first casualty of fear often is rights. Uh, Remember what happened after Pearl Harbor, which was in earlier generations 9-11. Uh, The United States government suspended the rights of 110,000 Japanese Americans and put them literally in detention centers for the duration of the war. And so I thought there was no better time to reflect on rights, to appreciate them, but also to question them. Um, People will be very surprised at this book because it presents a relatively narrow conception of rights. I'm not in favor of what Franklin Delano Roosevelt talked about, you know, the right to an education, the right to be free from poverty. Those may be very important preferences and important parts of a society. I focus mostly on negative rights, what the government cannot do to you because you have a right in relation to a government. And it's government that I fear most, so this was the time to write this book. So, so
1: you have said that rights don't come from God, in your view. Rights don't come from nature. So where do they come from?
0: Well, the obvious answer and one I reject also is, well, they come from the law books. They come from the, you know, the Constitution of the United States. And surely that's where our positive rights come from. But does that mean that if suddenly we were to see the Constitution amended, the Bill of Rights rescinded, we would have no rights, that you need the law to have rights? I can't agree with that either. So I'm stuck. Uh, If they don't come from God, and they don't come from nature, and they don't come from the law alone, where do they come from? And that's the thesis of my book. I think that rights come from human experience. They come from the unique human ability to recognize horrible wrongs. Wrongs such as the Inquisition, uh, the Holocaust, slavery, discrimination against women, discrimination against gays. We recognize at some point in our history how wrong we've been. And we say to ourselves, we have to make sure that we don't ever, ever repeat these wrongs. And what do we do? We create, we invent rights, which are designed to avoid the recurrence of those wrongs. And it turns out, historically, that whenever we recognize horrible wrongs, like right after the Civil War, what do we do? We passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. After the Holocaust, what do we do? We recognize the horrible wrong of racism. We passed all the Geneva Conventions and all the Human Rights Conventions. We created the U.N. Declaration of Rights. So I think that rights essentially come from wrongs or the recognition of wrongs and a desire to avoid their recurrence. What's the difference between a right
1: and a preference that you... That you were just talking about earlier?
0: Boy, it's such a hard question, and I think many of us, because there's so much rights talk in our society, confuse rights and preferences. Preferences are those things that we feel strongly about and should be subject to the democratic process. You have a preference for a certain kind of economy, you have a certain pref- preference for a certain kind of governance, you have a, a preference for how we should handle Social Security. Uh, those are all things that a majority should rule on. And I say this being in the minority. uh, I lose most of the time in democracy. But most of what we consider our preferences should be subject to the rule of majority. Majority ought to be the default position all the time. A right is something special. A right is anti-democratic. A right is your ability to stand up to a majority and say, doesn't matter if it's 60-40, 80-20, 90-10, there is a right that you can't take away from me. I'll give you an example. I grew up in Borough Park, not too far from here. Borough Park was an almost completely orthodox Jewish neighborhood. Um, and uh, on Friday afternoons we would be outside playing punch ball and getting ready for shul and invariably a group of very nice well-intentioned people would come over to us and hand us leaflets. They were from the Jehovah's Witness Society. And they would tell us that unless we not far it, away in, right, in, in the one right, 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 yeah. right. And they would come over and, and really scare us and tell us if we didn't accept their conception of religion, we would burn in hell. And, you know, when you're nine to ten years old, burning in hell sounds very, very frightening. If you took a vote in the vote, doesn't it sounds so good now. Well, <laughs> we yes, have the ability okay. to, re- to think about it now. But. Um, I would, I would be certain that a majority of Borough Park, of 99.9 to 0.1, would have voted to exclude the Jehovah's Witnesses. Nobody wanted to hear them. Nobody wanted to talk to them. But under our Constitution, they had a right to proselytize. They had a right to try to sell us on their message. And we had no power to take that right away from them. I don't think I appreciated that right then. But I sure appreciate it now because what right the Jehovah's Witnesses had or the Seventh-day Adventists or anybody else we need today because many of us today are in a minority we're in a minority when it comes to the Patriot Act we're told that if we don't favor the Patriot Act we're not patriotic we're helping the terrorists there will come a time in our lifetime that I hope it won't happen but it may very well we will really appreciate that First Amendment and really appreciate the right of every individual to stand up to the government and say you can't stop me from expressing my view now speaking of Shul um,
1: the subtitle of your book Mm -hmm. is a secular theory of the
0: origin of rights now what what do you mean by secular well it essentially means that rights don't come from God and that you don't have to be religious in order to have a theory of rights you know for those who do believe that everything comes from God it becomes a tautology. If God created the universe and created all the rights and all the wrongs, then obviously it's easy to accept the notion that rights like everything else come from God. Um, But I'm trying to Construct a more universal theory of rights, a universal theory that would apply in Europe, which is what's called now a post-Christian society. Um, Eighty-some-odd percent of people in many of the countries of Europe don't believe in God, whereas 86% of Americans do believe in God, according to recent polls. Um, I'm trying to write a theory that doesn't rely on any religious notions, something that even if you disagree with the Bush administration's conception of religiously based rights—you have a claim to be able to assert. One of the words you
1: use frequently in the book is experiential. Right. That it's based on ex- that, that rights are based on experiences. What are your experiences that that
0: have informed mm-hmm. your attitude towards rights? I'll tell you a wonderful story with my mother here in the in the auditorium. When I was um, a very uh, young kid in elementary school. I was a bandit, which meant I was a very bad student and a disciplinary problem. And one day, the principal called my mother, and my mother was called in very often, so often that I think a lot of people thought she worked there. But uh, <laughs> she was called in, and the principal, the principal said, Mrs. Dershowitz, your son is a real troublemaker. What are we going to do with him? And my mother banged the table and said, you know what? I'm going to do with him, I'm going to keep him. That's what I'm going to do with him. <laughs> and my mother was my first defense attorney. Um, I was once falsely accused during a game of Ringolivio of breaking a kid's leg. Victor Botnick, his name was. If he's out there, I apologize. <laughs> I didn't break your leg, but we were playing a rough game of Ringolivia. And my mother came in, and she cross-examined, and she insisted on evidence. You know, my mother just was, uh, went to one semester of college in 1929, and the Depression hit. I think she'd be on the Supreme Court today if uh, she had had an opportunity for a legal education. So I had a lot of experiences uh, at growing up uh, with defending the underdog. My father also had a keen sense of justice. My father was the functionally the oldest brother of uh, eight in the family. He had an older brother who was sickly. And so my father was the kind of macho guy who in Williamsburg was always out there defending his younger brothers against the bullies. And so I, br- I was brought up, I think, with a very strong tradition of tzedek tzedek tirdof justice, justice shalt thou pursue and also the other Hebrew phrase al do not stand idly by don't let things happen and just stand idly by so although this is a secular theory it clearly derives in part from my own religious training and, and what I kept thinking about in reading the book was what
1: I have to say is, is my favorite of your books which is The Best Defense which is about being a criminal defense attorney and this is Uh, clearly informed by your experience fighting for sometimes uh, unpopular uh, criminal
0: defendants. Well, almost always unpopular criminal defendants. I mean, uh, there's one profession that will always be very unpopular and that's being a criminal defense lawyer except in the rare case where you can represent people who have a large constituency behind them now as you know because you've been involved in some of the most amazing high-profile cases and always bring incredible wisdom and knowledge to these cases there's always a small group of people who supports any thug who's accused of the most horrendous crime Uh, I remember I remember with um, my client Mike Tyson When.